When most people talk about knowing their ABCs, they're referencing the alphabet. But here at Animal Behavior Conversations, the podcast of the ABMA, we're talking about the ABCs of behavior. Each week, we'll discuss a topic in the world of animal training and break down the science of behavior change. One of the great things about behavior and training is that it relates to animals of every kind. So whether you're training a lion or a tiger or a bear, oh my, or your pet at home, this podcast is for you. So without further ado, let's talk some training. Hello and welcome to Animal Behavior Conversations, the podcast of the ABMA. Today we are talking about SDs or Qs with special guest Daisy Barrett. This podcast is presented by the ABMA or the Animal Behavior Management Alliance, which is a not-for-profit organization with a membership comprised of animal care professionals and other individuals interested in enhancing animal care through training and enrichment. The ABMA continually strives to advance intentional and enlightened behavior management through operant conditioning to improve the lives and welfare of all animals. If you'd like to learn more or become a member of the ABMA, visit us at our website at theabma.org. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. I'm your host, Shane, and I'm a current ABMA board member and self-proclaimed behavior nerd. For anyone joining us again on the podcast, we're so excited to have you back. And thanks for joining us once again to continue our discussions about behavior. The goal of this podcast is to implement one of the goals of the ABMA, which is to continue the spread of knowledge and sharing throughout the animal care field. Each episode, we will break down one topic that involves the science of behavior change in animal training. And even though the content that you hear in this podcast reflects the views of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views of the ABMA or the board of directors, we think that the diversity of subjects and viewpoints represented by animal care professionals from around the world is one of the strengths of this organization. Some things you agree with and others may challenge your perceptions and ideas, but we encourage you to listen to all that you hear with an open mind because you might be surprised by what you learn. So to start out today, I want to give a shout out to our 25th episode, which is pretty incredible. Thank you so much to everyone that has been joining in, listening every week, interacting with us on the podcast. We can't tell you how much we appreciate this community that we are building here through the ABMA. And once again, thank you so much to everyone that is joining us from around the world as well. Kind of a cool thing that I think is amazing personally is that we currently have people listening in 56 countries, which is truly incredible. Thank you so much for making this a global community. And a little bit of more housekeeping before we go on. If you've noticed the last two episodes, goal-based enrichment and then the intersection of behavior enrichment and training, if you happen to look at the episode summary on whatever you listen to your podcast on, something that we've started to do is actually put in timestamps of what topics are being covered. This is actually something I have to shout out one of my coworkers, Kaylin, who gave me that idea because if you have a certain topic that you are really interested in, you can fast forward to it. Hopefully you'll listen to the whole thing, but if you want to do that, that's totally okay. And then also what I was thinking, and I know I have scrubbed through an episode to find a specific topic or point that I really enjoyed. This way, if you're listening to the podcast and you want to go back to a specific thing that's said, or you want to tell someone to take a listen to it, you'll now have timestamps that you can use 
to help you find that information a little bit easier. So from here on, we are going to be adding that into every single podcast summary. And then I will slowly be going through and adding those in to all the previous episodes as well. But with all of that out of the way, let's get started with our 25th episode of Animal Behavior Conversations. This episode, we are back to breaking down a term that is involved in the science of behavior change. And that topic is SDs slash Qs. And to help me talk about it, we have Daisy Barrett. Thanks for joining us today, Daisy. Hey, Shane. Thank you so much for having me on. I am so excited to be here with you. Same. Now, Daisy is another one of the people that was engaged in the podcast. And a while ago, I had messaged her and said, hey, do you want to be on? And she said, yes. And we've been messaging all things podcasting for a while now. And now Daisy is joining us all the way from Australia. So it is the evening here in the United States where I'm recording. And it is on Friday and it's early Saturday morning for you, Daisy. So thank you for getting up early on your weekend and podcasting with us. No, of course. I feel like we've been chatting for a few months. So it's exciting that it's finally coming together and we're recording now. Yes. And quote unquote meeting as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Virtually until, meeting. Until one of us goes to a conference in someone else's country. Yes, definitely. It will happen one day, I'm sure. Yes, I hope so. So anyways, Daisy, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your journey through the animal care and training field? Yeah, absolutely. So like you mentioned, I am living in Australia, but I am initially from the UK. So I moved to Australia just over 11 years ago just for three months. And then obviously I fell in love with an Australian and we got married 11 years later. So now I am a permanent resident here and living in Brisbane in Australia, which I love. And I volunteered at a few facilities within Australia initially. And then I moved back to the UK for about a year where I actually got my first keeper role working with a variety of mammals and birds and a really small team. So there was only four of us in that team. So it was a great opportunity to learn some really basic husbandry skills and how we look after animals. Um, and then I moved back to Australia and I got my first job here in Australia at Australia Zoo. Um, so I worked there for just over five years. I worked in the roving department with a huge variety of both native and exotic species um, and was able to present daily to about 5,000 people, which was definitely one of the highlights of that particular position. Um, over time, I was able to progress slowly to be able to run that department, which was great. I had a fantastic team underneath me. But then, of course, unfortunately, COVID hit and the pandemic was with us. And so after that, I ended up spending a little bit of time with the mammal and bird department um, before lucky enough getting the opportunity to move into the marine animal world, which I've never looked back. It is honestly such an incredible part of this industry. And now I'm lucky enough to be a marine animal specialist at Sea Life Sunshine Coast, where I look after a colony of fur seals and little blue penguins. That is amazing. And all of your pictures of what is the sly? Is that one of the first seals? Yeah. yeah we, oh look, my gosh. I know we're not really allowed to have favorites, but he is absolutely my favorite seal that I work with. He's one of the best. Well, I always tell when guests ask me that question, I say, well, if anyone tells you they don't have a favorite, they're lying. Just like if a parent tells you don't have a favorite kid, they're lying. But anyway, moving on from that. <laughs> Sly, so your picture is he is just an absolutely adorable fur seal. Yes, he is about 125 kilos. He's a long-nosed fur seal. And yeah, he has one of the best personalities. I love working with him. He's great fun. He's been a great teacher for me as well. 
So cool. Now, also speaking of Australia and one thing that with ABMA, we like to also support other organizations and give people other avenues for resources. So recently you attended the ASZK conference and actually won an award there. Can you tell us a little bit about what that organization is, what the acronym stands for, and a little bit about your experience at the conference? Yeah, absolutely. So the ASZK is the Australian Society of Zoologic Keeping. Um, And myself and my colleague Jess recently presented there, like you mentioned. So we presented our Little Blue Penguin husbandry training program that myself and the seal, sea life mammal and bird team have been able to develop over the last couple of years. We've worked really, really hard alongside our incredibly cool co-learners, our Little Blue Penguins, and have been really amazed by some of their progress. Being that Upon research, we found that there really wasn't too much done with this species over, especially here in Australia. So Jess and I were just really excited, I guess, to present this to the community and did not at all for a single minute consider that we might be lucky enough to be considered for best presentation, let alone win that award. That was chosen by the three keynote presenters, Ken Ramirez, Tim Sullivan, and Rick Hester. So a humongous career highlight for both of us. And we're both Wow, way to just like drop the mic on that lineup, oh, name drop. I, I said to Jess, like when we were sat down waiting and they read our name out, I looked at her and I was like, I think that's us. I, th- I think we need to stand up now. Like, this is not real. So yeah, that was just an amazing achievement. And we're so proud of ourselves and so proud of the penguins and where they've been able to go. That's really cool. Now, in your presentation, did you ever talk about SDs or Qs? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we definitely did. Um, wow, and that's what a got. perfect transition. Yeah, yeah. And I have brought them into the um, into this conversation a little bit later on, I think. <laughs> Very cool. Well, as we just alluded to, today's topic is going to be about SDs or Qs. You can hear them used interchangeably, also sometimes signals, but I think generally normally you hear SD or Qs. And SD stands for Discriminative Stimulus. And when it's written, it is a capital S with a superscript capital D. So if you're ever writing it or if you're reading it in literature, that's how you will see it. But generally you pronounce it SD. And a little bit of a definition of SD or Q, which is a discriminative stimulus that signals that a specific behavior, if admitted, will be reinforced. So now that we have a definition, Daisy, can you explain a little bit more about what SDs are and how that would look in practice? Yeah, absolutely. So the SD is the antecedent to a behavior. So the antecedent is given and then it should logically proceed to the next thing, which is generally that behavior. So I guess in more simple terms, the animal offers a particular behavior as it has been paired with a type of SD that would have just been presented by that trainer. Amazing. Now, like we mentioned a second ago, people use SD and Q interchangeably. They're the exact same thing. But let's focus on the science a little bit more. Why is it called a discriminative stimulus? So my understanding of why it's called a discriminative stimulus is because of its meaning to be able to distinguish or discriminate between different stimuli. So, for example, an animal might have a fairly large repertoire of behaviours, but due to them being able to distinguish each individual cue, the animal is then able to understand what behaviour that trainer is asking, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense because stimulus, you know, we're adding that in and discriminative. We want it to be, like you just said, something that means a specific 
thing. So as we are moving forward, I have a question for you. Daisy, what can be an SD? Absolutely anything. Anything. (laughs) Absolutely anything. (laughs) I've seen some really cool different SDs come about. And I think choosing the SD is sometimes one of the funnest parts of creating a new behavior. Yeah. And uh, I think also one of those really fun uh, team discussions that you can have too when you're deciding if a new behavior is being trained, what is that SD going to be? Now, as you just mentioned, anything can be an SD, but there are kind of some types of SDs. So can you walk us through some of the different quote unquote types of SDs that people could be using? Yeah, definitely. So I would probably say that the most common types of SDs used are either visual or vocal, which simply means that the animal is visually seeing the SD or hearing the SD directly from the trainer. But there are definitely a few other types of SDs that can be used as well, such as an olfactory SD, um, which is related to the sense of smell. So actually recently at the ASAK conference, we watched a fantastic presentation from the elephant team at Sydney Zoo that was presented by Dean Jones. He spoke about how they paired different scents with different behaviors. So for example, every time the scent of peppermint was given to the elephants, they would offer a foot lift, which I thought was really cool. And initially, I guess it probably was a visual SD that has now become a scent or an olfactory SD too. Possibly some other examples of SDs might be an auditory ST2, which is when the behavior is executed after the animal hears a particular sound. So with our colony of little blue penguins, for example, we conditioned a start of session cue, which is the sound of a bell, which then is an auditory SD. And then you can also utilize some tactile SDs too. I'd say, however, though, this can depend slightly on the species and then the relationship that that trainer has with each individual animal too. But probably the one that we utilize the most here at Sea Life is a slightly different type of SD, and that is a geographical SD or Q. I was really cool hearing on one of your earlier podcasts from Vauda talk about some of the geographical cues that we utilized at Sea Life. So it simply means that the behavior is associated with a particular location. So these work really, really well during presentations, as it is very subtle to the guests what we're asking the animals. For example, with our fur seal colony, We have a rock, and if I walk slightly swiftly to the left side of that rock, that's going to indicate to the seal that I'm cueing bowing. However, if I walk to the right of that rock, that's going to indicate to the animal that I'm cueing sailing, which is two natural behaviors for these animals. The only downside, I guess, I would say to a geographical SD is that the behaviors associated with the locations can't be cued in a different setting or area. So depending on the behavior, I would say it's definitely desirable to have it trained with other types of SDs as well, just to ensure that we can do it in different areas too. So for example, like a visual SD. Uh, In our seal habitat, we have a really large lighthouse. And when we stand directly in front of that lighthouse, it actually cues the seals to offer a flipper or a chest stand. However, we've also associated the seals with this behavior with a visual SD, which is just a particular hand movement. And that allows us to then ask that behavior in different numerous other locations too. That is really wild because I have seen that video when I was in Columbus learning from Bowder so many times. And that's really yeah. funny. That's where you work now. That's now cool. I actually like visualize what your uh, work <laughs> area is looks like because I've seen that video so many times. It's really cool. 
Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And honestly, we do get we get a lot of feedback from the guests. You know, how are you communicating with those animals? And yeah, it's great that we can utilize those different areas of their habitat. Um, but like I said, it's it is also important to have them possibly on different type of nesty as well, just so that we're not always stuck to a particular location. And kind of going with that, uh, do our cues? I mean, you think kind of just alluded to the answer to this in your discussion, but. Sometimes we have these really big, extravagant cues, SDs, but that's not necessary, right? I don't think it's necessary at all. Sometimes with developing new SDs, they generally can be slightly exaggerated and that can help the animal learn. But I would say that the subtle SDs are just as beneficiary and they can work really, really well with guests too. It's quite interesting. We have one of my great friends who works at Sea Life with me. She's initially from America. And she said, it's really strange coming to Australia. The, the cues are generally quite subtle as everything in America is quite exaggerated. <laughs> so she's definitely seen a difference between the two different facilities. Interesting. I mean, that's probably more of an allegory on America in general. Yeah. <laughs> probably extrapolate that. But I, I personally love, like you mentioned a second ago, when they are subtle because it just the guest sees that and it truly just looks like you are working with that animal. One of my favorite sayings I say on tour all the time is that we are working with our animals. They're not working for us. And I think being able oh. to do that is a great, right? And it's a great, because it's true. Oh my God. And I, it is like my favorite line. I think I might've got it from maybe one of your podcasts, but I put it in my presentation every day after we do a particular behavior. I'm like, we're able to do this all down to the fact that we work with them and they don't work for us. It's one yes. of my favorite things. I love <laughs> it. I just got goosebumps again because I say yep. every single time that I am educating to guests because it's so true and being able to have this communication from a guest perspective or someone that's new we literally are doing this weird quote unquote sign language with animals that with that good dialogue, with that clear communication, it is just so fluid and just moves so well. And I think that's really amazing for the guests to see that. And also the animals are very, very capable of picking up on so many things. I think Trisha, a couple episodes ago, talked about how, if you think about a dog, their sense of smell, sight, hearing is so much heightened ours so they can pick up yeah. they pick up on so many little things and that's I think really cool to be able to showcase that to guests yeah I couldn't agree more very well said and before we move on for a second I do want to hit on visual cues a little bit more because we talked about generally you're seeing us we're using our bodies like we use our hand movements and all this stuff but I just wanted to kind of throw out there that visual could be anything. I've seen a lot of QSDs where it, if the animal can see color, it is a certain color is shown and that's CSD or different shapes are given. So it doesn't have to necessarily just be our bodies. We can use, like you said, anything can be a cue as long as it's conditioned. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly right. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that we're doing with our bodies to communicate to that animal. It could be the presence of an object too. Um, we see that sometimes with our bin behavior. We have it on a visual cue that we do with our body, but I'd say it's also paired with the presence of the bin being on the habitat for the animals hmm. to see too. There are tons more. This is not all-inclusive. We'd be here for uh, uh, the next year if we did. Yeah. But... <laughs> Uh, looking at that, can you talk 
about what every SD needs to have in common. Like what makes, like what are these core things that have to be true for something to be an SD? Yeah, absolutely. So I think probably the most important thing with every SD is that they need to have in common is that it needs to be really clear and really, really consistent. Consistency is so important. And by being consistent, it's going to eliminate that chance of the queue varying over time. We want to make sure that the SDs don't become sloppy. And, and I'd say probably mild variations of the SD are usually pretty well understood. But if it becomes too sloppy and inconsistent, the animals might find it quite difficult to understand and will often try to guess what's being asked instead of offering the correct behavior. Yeah, and I think that's something that to be said that it doesn't need to be exact. We don't have to be robots in front of them all doing the exact same. It doesn't have to be like, her hand is at an exact 46.8 yeah. degree angle and rotate, but still generally doing it. And as we've said so many times, I think listening to the animal, if you as a team, you as a trainer, see them getting confused, guessing a lot, either look at like, is this, do they understand what the SD is for this specific behavior that you're hoping to see from them? Or is something else happening where it's not consistent enough and they're guessing because they are confused by our communication. Yeah, exactly right. And I think as a new trainer, starting with a new animal as well, you have to give them that that wriggle room to get used to how you train and how you communicate. Because like you mentioned, no one's going to be exactly the same. It's important that we try our hardest to be consistent and have um, that consistency when asking for cues. But I also think it's great that the animals can understand a small amount of variety between different trainers. And another one of those key things that all SDs have to have in common, you talked about earlier, is that they are in the antecedents. They are yeah. in the antecedents before the behavior happens. You can't have the behavior happen and then give the SD. No, I think that would definitely be slightly confusing for the animal. <laughs> <laughs> So we talked a lot about these different ideas. We have thought in our heads, this is what we want our SD to be or multiple ones. So we're training a behavior. It's at the point that we are ready to introduce and condition the SD for that specific behavior. Can you talk a little bit and describe what that process might look like? Yeah, I think I think it's quite a difficult one to know exactly when to introduce the SD. It's so unique to each animal, the situation, and then I guess what behavioral concept is being trained as well. Generally, once the behavior is trained, you want the animal to complete that behavior on a particular cue or SD. And that's when that behavior is then brought under stimulus control. However, you can definitely introduce the SD before the behavior is completely trained as well. First, it would be figuring out what you want your SD to be. And like I mentioned earlier, that can sometimes be one of the fun parts. We generally send out a Slack message to our team and just get everyone's opinions and throw out some wild thoughts. But when choosing the SD, you obviously want to make sure that you consider other signals that the animal has learned and ensure to make, make them not too similar and that will avoid any trouble discriminating for that animal. Then we want to start introducing that chosen SD to the behavior. And like I said, the time can be completely up to the individual and what behavior is being trained. The time will vary slightly depending on the animal, but the SD is generally offered at the same time and placed at the same time consistently. That animal will start to pair the presence of the SD with what behavior is being trained. Yeah, and I loved how you mentioned that it is going to be unique to each animal in each situation. Yeah. I know I, my own experience, I've definitely 
introduced NSD a lot sooner because it just made sense or the animal was ready for yeah. it. Sometimes at the end, I think that, you know, we've said it a lot. It does really depend on that animal reading the situation and what works in that specific moment. Yeah, I don't think there's any any harm in introducing it slightly earlier. You're just exposing that animal to that SD and giving it more opportunity to be able to start pairing. Now, we've gone through that process. Can one behavior have multiple SDs? Absolutely. I think so, definitely. One behavior can have multiple SDs, but I would say that they need to be different types of SDs. So two different visual SDs could make it slightly difficult for that animal to understand. Um, but for example, a visual and a verbal SD for the same behavior is definitely possible and generally fairly advantageous too. So I thought this also might be a good point to maybe touch on the difference between intentionally pairing two types of SDs and then accidentally pairing two SDs. As uh, fortunately, I've learned this uh, the hard way, as it's definitely easy to do. So it's really important to stay visual when you're asking for that SD that you're not accidentally associating anything else with that SD. Uh, for example, I'm thinking with the seals from my experience, you might have an SD which is a point to the ground and that's going to cue a layout. However, when cueing that layout, you're also subconsciously taking a really small step backwards. For some animals, it's not going to take long at all for them to start pairing the two SDs and shortly be offering the layout when the step back is seen by the animal, even without the presence of the intentional cue. So from my experience, the best advice to do to try and avoid doing this is to slow down, be really vision vigilant, and also have people watch your sessions. I'm super lucky to work with a few really great mentors and an awesome team. And sometimes for me, it's just taken a second person watching to pick up on something really small that you might be missing, but I can guarantee your animal is not missing. They hone in on so much and so I much. <laughs> so much which is amazing it's what make part of one of the many reasons that make them incredible co-workers but another kind of you just sparked something in my memory that I think sometimes talking can unintentionally become an SD like you talked about for so if I've had this happen like if an animal is at a station and someone else is opening your gate and every single time you talk generally open the gate right away i've had where animals where someone just starts talking and they go to the gate because they've come to recognize like the only moment in this contingency of this behavior that talking is happening is when i'm getting gated out and so i think that's one thing that i've learned that for those situations or with medical if you're doing something with the vet that they might be asking you questions to make sure you're kind of paying attention in your training progression that if talking's going to need to happen, if we can, one, get them ready for that, we can train them to be okay with the vet talking, but also really paying attention to when that happens and when we are giving another SD or bridging, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just comes down to being really vigilant and being variable with your sessions as well. We just talked about how there can be multiple SDs and a lot of times are default generally, I think, across the board. This is just a general statement. A lot of times we will pair a visual with a verbal. So just generally you'll say like, you'll point to the ground and say layout for the layout. Like yeah. Generally those things happen. It makes sense. How can we tell if both 
are an actual SD for the behavior or if just one of them is what the animal is actually queuing off of. Yeah, definitely. So if we want to make sure that we do opt for two types of SDs for the same behavior, that they're both effective without the need of the other. So that'll indicate to the trainer that both SDs are being understood by the animal. And that's just simply asking for that behavior with the visual SD and simply asking for the behavior with a verbal SD. I don't think it's too much more complicated than that. Um, and that, like I mentioned, that's going to indicate that the animal understands each different type of SD associated with that behavior. And if we get to a point where we are saying layout and not pointing and they're not laying out and we, so we can understand, okay, they don't quite get that. How can we help that animal then learn that SD, that second SD of the verbal without using a visual, their visual SD that they already, they already understand? So I think the animal is obviously providing us information and the information they're telling us is that they don't quite understand that particular type of SD yet. So I'd say it's still important to pair it with the other SD that has that great association with the behavior. And then it's probably going to be a fading technique um, that we start to gradually and gradually fade that technique that they, uh, that type of SD, sorry, that they do associate and change our schedule of reinforcement when they start taking that second type of SD as well. And you just brought up something fading is something that is in the works so look out for a future episode where we talk about that in a little more in depth if you're a little unsure what that process entails in a couple of episodes we are going to be diving into that further we generally like a lot of times it just is kind of human nature to do a visual and a verbal to say both of those things but thinking about behavior thinking about the animals why might it be important to have multiple strong, consistent SDs that are different from each other for a behavior, like having that yeah. visual and having a verbal? Yeah, definitely. So I think having multiple SDs is generally always advantageous, and it can come particularly in handy with, for example, geriatric animals, preparation for aging animals, and then any animals that have impairments such as visual or hearing impairments. And like you've mentioned, we do generally see pairing of visual SDs with verbal SDs, and especially frequently within the marine mammal industry. And I'd say more so in pinnipeds due to the frequency of them developing cataracts, which is common both in wild populations and within populations in human care. We actually house a beautiful Australian fur seal. His name is Groucho at Sea Life on the Sunshine Coast. And he was rescued as a young pup. And now at an estimated 24 years of age, we have started to see a decline in his vision due to a developing cataracts. So yeah, most of his SDs were established through visual. However, once we started to notice his vision decline, his primary trainers quickly started to pair both tactile and verbal SDs with his already established visual SDs. Now, this is super important and really cool to observe as it ensured that we would still be able to offer him the same high quality care. However, we've now adapted it to his needs. Um, so, for example, being that husbandry behaviors are so important for all animals, these were definitely a priority. And due to the incredible work that his primary trainer did with him, all of his DPE behaviors can now be cued verbally without the presence of that original visual SD. And she's also paired visual SDs with tactile SDs as well. And I'd say this is probably a really great example of why it is really important that we train multiple strong SDs for all behaviors. Very cool. And another, 
idea that I had when thinking about this question too was that sometimes you might have a situation with the way that the animal's habitat is set up that there might be moments where they can't visually see you. So having that another strong like verbal where they aren't able to see so they can just hear something and know to do it. If they've got around a corner, they can't see all those kind of things. So, so many great ways. And I love seeing this community, all of the incredible SDs and just general training that we can do for these animals as they age to help care for them because we are able to prolong their natural life for a long time. And so that's really great that because of that, if there are certain parts of their body might be failing, we can still give them optimal welfare. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's it's important to start conditioning that fairly young as well. So like you said, they do live such a longer lifespan within human care that we can already have those STs adapted ready for them. I have one last question before we go to the fun, exciting part of the end of the episode. What is your favorite SD that you've ever conditioned or that you've done with an animal? Do you have a favorite? Oh, that's a difficult question. I am probably going to lead towards penguins because they are definitely where I've spent most of my time within the industry so far. We trained a point and follow cue for the penguins. So we utilize this to just generally move them around the exhibit. They follow a point. And as soon as we change the point from being horizontal to vertical, then the animal would stop moving straight away. And then they would be bridged and then reinforced with primary. We did not realize at all how insanely fast these little blue penguins would pick that up. And we've been able to utilize that to move them across the podoscope for their voluntary weights, for their voluntary foot checks, and then into the crate as well. And based on that history with that SD, we've then been able to transition that into them utilizing a target stick as well. So already knowing to follow a particular, like our point finger, they then started following the target stick and we've been able to train more and more things through that. So I know it's really simple, but it was so effective and it was so rewarding to see how quickly those penguins pick that up. So yeah, simply that horizontal point follow and then change it to a vertical and the penguin would stop. Well, that is amazing. And I'm, I was internally giggling because I thought you were <laughs> going to say something like crazy. And then you had this really great behavior story of the success of the animals. And I was going to say that my favorite ever was in Columbus. We conditioned a dab as an SD for the that is cool. to jump on a rock <laughs> my curator pablo he was french and he loves loved soccer aka football and one of the yeah. french players would always dab after scoring goals so we dabbed all the time uh if any of my current co-workers listen to this they're laughing because i am a 30 year old that just dabs randomly for fun though in an <laughs> ironic way but yeah. it was really i loved it because when that behavior was trained, dabbing was still kind of cool and hip with all the young kids. So they could be up on the upper viewing platform and be like, all right, everyone, the count of three, everyone dab and one, two, three, and everyone would dab. And then the sea lion would go and jump on the rock. So that was really fun. But yours was like a really cool behavior one. And mine was just talking about dabbing. So that's so cool. And I feel like that's a great example of like an exaggerated behavior that guests can get involved in. Too. Yeah. Yes. The subtle yes. ones are cool, but then the super exaggerated ones are also not, really not cool. a subtle, not a subtle cue. I can, I, one of my <laughs> favorites when my first year in this field, when I was working in Animal Encounters Village. We, there's a cockatoo there named Avery, and she knows a ton of super small, subtle things. So throughout her time in a show or on a program 
it took me, I still remember watching it multiple times, like trying to figure out exactly what was happening once I understood what SDs and Qs were at that point. So I do love those ones where it just looks like the animal is just doing all these things and it just so flow, it flows so well, or you can just dab, whatever. Yeah, either way, whatever, whatever floats on the day. <laughs> well, now that's our cue to move to training tails. Ah, I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, but uh, anyways, now it's time for our training tales. So Daisy, do you have a fun, interesting training story that you would like to share with everyone? Yeah, so this is definitely my favorite part of your podcast, just by I the way. I love it too. I love it's so cool. I love listening to these stories and I really particularly enjoyed the seals and their um, water park overnight stay one. That oh, was, yes. That was so <laughs> funny. We were talking about that at lunchtime for a few days, for sure. <laughs> um, but for me, again, I'm sorry, I'm going definitely penguin related. And I think it's probably not a funny training story, but it's just something that I'm really proud of. Um, and that's training our voluntary pickups. So that was part of our Little Blue Penguin husbandry training program. And I do appreciate that this might be a fairly basic behavior for some species, but for a particular flighty species, it definitely came with a few different challenges. We work with a social colony of 16 birds and have been, ab- have been able to gradually approximate a voluntary pickup for all of them which has then allowed us to be able to do thorough body check condition scores. We do beak and eye checks as well as foot touches too. And then with that history of the foot checks and having such good history behind it, we've now been able to start conditioning a few of them to choose to place their feet in a small dish of betadine within that pickup. And that's going to help treat any potential lesions, which can cause bumble foot, which is a fairly common foot condition that we see with numerous different bird species. It has been and an insanely rewarding process. And to see how far the penguins have come has just blown my mind and such a fun behavior to train with the whole of our team as well. So I think that's definitely my favorite training tale so far. That's awesome. And this actually perfectly tees up the fact that Daisy, you now have joined the ranks of animal training, behavior, conservation, podcasting as well. You just started a, yeah. a, a newer podcast. Episode two came out recently all about this penguin training. So it's a perfect little uh, segue to that. So can you tell everyone about your podcast, how they can listen, what's going on with that? Yeah, definitely. So myself and my co-host Tess, who is primarily a raptor keeper, um, we've spoken about talking about doing a podcast for a while. And after we both had the pleasure of attending the most recent ASAK conference that I spoke about earlier at SeaWorld on the Gold Coast. We left feeling so incredibly inspired, motivated, and we really wanted to continue to connect with the like-minded keepers, trainers, and industry professionals as well. So our podcast is called Trainer Talks and Tales, and our aim, I guess, is to give insights into the world of zoos, aquariums, animal training, and conservation too. I was hugely inspired by other podcasts that just gave me so much education. They were so informative and fun. And absolutely, this is definitely one of them. So I want to thank you, Shane, for inspiring me to go ahead with that idea as well. Because honestly, listening to your podcast and the community that you've been able to build was definitely an inspiration for me. Well, thank you. And I can I feel the same way listening to Chris and Ari on NEI Tech yeah. Talk and Dr. Gray Stafford on Zoologic and uh, Ryan Cartledge with Animal Training Academy, all of those things. It's so many great resources and we all kind of have the same niche, but also different niches. So 
It's yeah, really cool. Definitely. And uh, make sure you check out Trainer Talks and Tales. They have one of my things that I'm excited for as you have more guests is they do a fast five at the beginning of each episode, which <laughs> is just really quick questions. And some of them are animal related. Some of them are a little bit fun too. So I'm excited to hear every every guest's uh, fast five questions too. Yeah, definitely. We aim that to be not overly animal related, just a little bit of fun. And we have Ryan hopefully coming up on the podcast soon. And we're definitely going to have you on too, Shane. And I can guarantee there's going to be some questions about your home bill that I keep hearing about oh. on all your podcasts. Yes, Cornelius. <laughs> Cornelius, yes, yeah. Cornelius. He always will come up. Yeah. And uh, that's uh, one of my favorite animals I ever worked with. He is such a goofball <laughs> hornbill. And I fought, fell in love with hornbills from Cornelius and Terry, the ground hornbill that I worked with in Columbus as well. So I didn't have to bring it up, everyone. Daisy brought up hornbills. I was being yeah. good. I, I let it lie, yeah. but now we've got it in there. <laughs> Yeah, we'll definitely bring it up on ours for sure. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much once again for joining us today. And if guests have any questions or would like some information from you, how can people reach you? Yeah, definitely. So I'd say probably the easiest way to reach out is just through Instagram. So my handle is Daisy Charlotte Barrett. Perfect. Now, special thank you once again to you, Daisy, for joining us. And also, we have someone else that's silently joining us on our podcast, Justin, who's been on podcast a couple of times, heavily involved in ABMA. We are dubbing him quote unquote producer. Not sure exactly what a producer does, but Justin is going to try to start hopping on the podcast to help me with editing, taking notes, things need added if there's something that we're talking about. So thank you as well, Justin, for joining us. Do you want to say hi to everyone on your first official producer gig? Hey, everyone. And that concludes today's episode focusing on SDs or Qs. This, of course, just scratches the surface. So if you have any questions at all, please reach out on any of the ABMA social channels or by emailing abc at theabma.org. We love to hear from you and this podcast is made for you. So if you have any questions or topics that you would like covered, please let us know. A special thank you to Daisy for joining us today. Our new podcast producer, Justin. James McAleb for our theme song, Ayla on the Beat, sung by the ever-talented Ayla the Sea Lion, all of our ABMA members, and to you for listening and joining in on the behavior conversation. If you aren't already a member, please consider joining the ABMA by visiting theabma.org as we all strive to better the lives of animals around the world. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and join us next week on Animal Behavior Conversations as we talk about training plans. In the meantime, thanks for joining us and... Happy training. To help me with the editing process. Hello, Justin. Okay. Hi, Justin. <laughs> Hello. He's there as a third man. Yeah. How are you? There, that, there's a blooper. Sorry. And there's a, a third man. <laughs>